Praise God and welcome to Eve's Corner. Eve's Corner is a show of encouragement, enlightenment, and empowerment. I definitely thank God for all of you that have joined today. And as you know, before we get started, we're going to bow for a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you now, God, for our many blessings. We thank you, God, for every listener, old and new. I pray now, God, that this word come forth with clarity and with understanding. I pray, God, that you use my tongue to write upon the hearts of your people. I pray that I may decrease and you increase in me so that your people will have what they need on today. God, meet every need and fill every void in the name of Jesus. I glorify you now, God, in advance for what you're getting ready to do for us individually and then collectively, God. I glorify you, God, and I praise you for who you are in our lives. God, I thank you for elevation on today, for uplifting us, uplifting us in our minds and our hearts, and for blessing us spirit, soul, soul, and body. I praise you, God, for everyone that's here today. God, I, I know that they're all seeking something. And I just believe you, God, as I stand on your word, that you will give them what they need. It is in Jesus name that we ask these blessings in faith. Amen. Well, our topic for today is look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Um, and we're going to be talking from the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. Again, that's the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. I'll give you just a moment to get there. As I get there also. We're going to be talking today a lot about hypocrisy. It's unfortunate that it is something that uh, we do experience even in the body of Christ. And I want to make sure today that, that we understand um, exactly what's going on with us when we do things like that. So again, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. And I am going to read today from the ESV version of the Bible so that we can hear what it is that God is saying to us as it relates to hypocrisy and judging other people. Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning at verse number four, the Bible reads, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The grass may wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord will not pass away. So many times we're able to see small faults that other people have. We see the moat or the speck that's in their eye and we focus on them so much that we miss our own giant faults. So today I want to cover 
enlightenment, entanglement, endangerment, and establishment as it pertains to hypocrisy. Because we need to focus more on looking in the mirror rather than looking out of the window, so to speak. So again, for those of you who are taking notes, today we're going to cover enlightenment, entanglement, endangerment, and establishment as it pertains to hypocrisy. There comes a time in each one of our lives that we need to look at where we are and what we do. We need to examine ourselves and then ask the question, am I doing my best to serve the Lord? A lot of us, if we ask ourselves this question, see things in ourselves that we wish we could change. We have feelings, thoughts, problems, and attitudes that we know and we are very well aware that we need to change. Now, especially during this time of the year, people begin to make promises to themselves and to others regarding some changes that they'd like to make. Some people call them resolutions. Others say things like, oh, it's a new year, new me. We begin to see changes that are needed in our circles. And some of us decide to be a part of the resolution. If we're going to make things better for any of us, any type of change, it must begin within us. So whatever we see in our communities, whatever we see in our families, the change has got to begin with us. We can't make other people do anything. We can't control other people. But we have to be the change that we want to see. You know, it's said that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So then it's important that we make sure that we are not the weakest link. Are you a part of the problem or are you being a part of the resolution? Are you on a mission for God or are you on a mission to be seen or to be recognized? Are you on a mission to improve in your workplace? What about your neighborhood? What about your community at large? Let's look into the mirror and ask ourselves about our motives. Now, to make it plain and simple, we can do like Michael Jackson said and just start with the man in the mirror. That's the person that we see every day. And then we can ask God to change our ways. So think about it. If every one of us changed something about ourselves that we know is not a good trait. What a wonderful place this will be. If every one of us started. With the man in the mirror. Then we wouldn't really have time. To find fault with everybody else. We wouldn't have time to find fault with another person. Because we'd be too busy. Taking care of our own issues and our own problems. So now. Let's talk about. Some common characteristics. 
People who value their relationship with God and make it a part of their identity on a daily basis are less likely to be hypocritical. Did y'all know that? Now, I know that that doesn't refer to anybody listening on this show, right? But I'm sure you know somebody. So I want to point out how to spot a hypocrite. First of all, when he speaks, he lies. When he promises, he breaks his promises. And when he is entrusted, he betrays his trust. No, I won't tell anybody. Or yes, I'll pay this bill on time. Yes, I swear to this agreement or I promise. But then they lie and they don't. And they tell your secrets. That's just one example. In the Arabic language, it means uh, the general category of deception Scheming and presenting an outward appearance of good while concealing its opposite. Hypocrites are even found in the Arabic language. They do good while they're in front of you. And then they conceal that they're really quite the opposite of what they present to you. The third thing is they present an outward appearance of holiness And they act like they're doing good deeds, such as helping those in need or giving to those in need while concealing that they really have a different motive or that they, too, have taken part in the same actions of others that they outwardly judge or criticize. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They talk about other people and they're doing the exact same stuff, but theirs is hidden and you don't know about it. So they're pointing out what somebody else is doing. Hmm. Do we know anybody like that? And Lord help us if it's us. What about those that are giving to those who are in need, but they have a false motive. They want to be seen. They want somebody to pat them on the back. Hmm. So the word entanglement. When you think about entanglement, you know, there's only one letter difference in the word and the world. Are we entangled and wrapped up in the word or are we entangled and wrapped up in the world? Now, we're supposed to be wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in Jesus. That's the song we sing. Or are we really, truly caught up in what's going on in the world? And our motives have changed. Our hearts have changed. When we look at our spiritual lives, do we resemble more of the world? Or do we look like God? See, the Bible tells us in 1 John, the second chapter, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the world? Or do you look like God? Do you look like everybody else around you? Or do you look like the Father? Do you talk like, walk like, and act like everybody else in the world? Are you trying to fit in to the world? Or do you look like, talk like, and act like Jesus? Now, we're told over and over in Scripture not to love the world or anything in it. In fact, our text says if we love the world, then the love of God is not in us. We can't do both. And from the text, we see three specific pictures of worldliness. Now let's talk about the endangerment. The endangerment is getting caught up in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The first example of the temptation of the pride of life occurs in the Garden of Eden, way back in Genesis, where Eve was tempted by the serpent to disobey God and to eat the forbidden fruit. He tempted her to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now Eve perceived that the fruit was good for food, according to scripture. It was pleasing to her eye and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's found in Genesis 3 and 6. She coveted the fruit in three ways. First, it was appealing to her appetite. And this is what John refers to as the lust of the flesh. The desire for that which satisfied any of your physical needs is lust of the flesh. The fruit was also pleasing because it was delightful to Eve's eyes. That which we see and desire to own or possess. Here's the lust of the eyes that John refers to. Now, finally, Eve somehow perceived that the fruit would make her wise, giving her wisdom beyond her own wisdom. Part of Satan's lie was that eating the fruit would make her like God, knowing good and evil. And that's found in Genesis 3 and 5. Here's the essence of the pride of life. Anything that exalts us above our position or status and offers the illusion of God-like qualities wherein we boast, we become arrogant, and we have this worldly wisdom 
Eve wanted to be like God in her knowledge. She wasn't content to live in this perfect world under his perfect grace and care for her. And Satan tried these same three temptations on Christ during his 40 days in the wilderness over in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter. Verses one through 11, he tempted Jesus with the lust of the flesh, bread for his hunger in verses two and three. He tempted him with the lust of the eyes. He told him all of the kingdoms of the world with their splendor. In verses 8 and 9, and the pride of life, daring him to cast himself from the roof of the temple in order to prove that he was the Messiah by some flashy display of, of power, which wasn't in the will of God or his plan for redemption of mankind. That was in verses 5 and 6. But Jesus, though he was tempted in every way, just like we are, resisted the devil and he used the word of God to ensure victory over him. And saints, that's what we have to do. We're no different than Eve. And if Satan tried to tempt Jesus, you know he'll come at you. He doesn't care anything about you. So we have to know and we have to understand what it is that we're facing every day. Anything that tries to cause you to get off track, whether it's the lust of your eyes, something that just looks pleasing to you, you feel like you just got to have it, the lust of the flesh, something that meets your physical needs. Like right now, many people are fasting. Those Burger King commercials and everybody has buy one, get one and all kinds of stuff going on. It's a temptation. It's something to cause your flesh, flesh to lust after it and for you to get off track with your fast. When you fast, it's for your, your spiritual growth, your spiritual elevation. It's for cleansing spirit, soul, and body. And then all these commercials come along and people come along and try to tempt you. And they're eating things in front of you. It's just temptation. The temptation to step outside of your marriage is something that faces at least 50% of marriages, male and female. It's not just men. It's some women looking around too. It's temptation. But you have to remember not to be a hypocrite. You have to remember your covenant. Remember your vows. Remember the promise that you made. Because temptation will always be there. See, the thing is, we don't look deep enough at the big picture. The enemy will come and show you somebody that looks like your type. A lot of us have a type. And sisters, just because he's tall, dark, and handsome, and, and has a bald head, and some dark skin, and some pretty teeth, nice shoes, and a nice watch, drives a nice car. If he's married to somebody else, please stop fooling yourself and saying, that's my husband. No, he's somebody else's husband. He's supposed to be my, no, he ain't supposed to nothing. He's married to somebody else. 
Don't let him fool you coming to you and telling you, well, she's not doing this. And my wife doesn't do that. My wife doesn't cook like you do. My wife doesn't dress like you coming, coming to you at work. Talking about, oh, you sure do smell good. My wife doesn't wear perfume. You better get away from that man. That's temptation. Trying to cause you to be a hypocrite. Trying to cause you to fall. It's the devil. And like I just said, if he tried to tempt Jesus, he sure will try to tempt you. And brothers, y'all ain't left out. Some of y'all get around your boys. And your boys tell you things like, man, look at that. When a woman is walking by, that's temptation. If you're beginning to look at that woman's body and you know she's not yours and you begin to lust after her, you're yielding to temptation. It's ungodly and you're about to break your covenant. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Remove yourself. And you need to stop hanging around with folks that try to tempt you to do something that's ungodly. That's something that we should have learned a long time ago. Just say no. Just don't do it. Get away from that situation. So whether your temptation is food. Whether you have some other type of addiction. Like alcohol. Or drugs, you have to realize that it's from Satan. Don't start it, and you won't have to be trying to get out of it. You have to ask God to deliver you from these kinds of things and to help you and to strengthen you. Because the enemy is coming along to try to make you fall, to try to make you get off track. And you cannot yield, you cannot give in. It's a trick, just like with Eve. When you yield to temptation, you'll mess around and lose everything you have. Was it worth it for that moment of pleasure? Was it worth it to be running around with somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife? For a moment? And then you get upset when they go home to the person they're supposed to be with. Was it worth it for you to step outside of your marriage and mess up everything that you have? Was it worth it for you to get into an argument with somebody at work? Now you lost your job and you need to provide for your family. You stepped into your flesh. You yielded to temptation. Young people, was it worth it to you not to do your homework and hang with the crowd? Now you got a bad grade. And you know that you need good grades to go to college. Was it worth it? Think about it. College students, was it worth it to go to the party and not to study? You knew you were supposed to be studying. You knew you needed to be reading. Was it worth it when you got back to class and had to take that test and failed? Now it's going to take you at least three more tests to do very well to bring up that poor grade. You yielded to temptation. You stepped outside of who you know you are. You stepped outside of whose you are. You forgot about your covenant with God. 
young people, you forgot about the covenant, the promise that you made to your parents that you were going to do well in school to get good grades because you need a scholarship. Young people, you forgot about the promise that you made not to give your body to anyone else until you get married. Was it worth it? We have to remember when the enemy comes at us with all kinds of temptations to act up, to curse folks out, brawling and acting a fool at work. Now you got a mark against your name. You done got fired and you can't even get another job. Is it worth it? To be in your flesh and lose everything. Is it worth it to not please God? Are we looking in the mirror at the things that we're doing that are not godly? And yes, we appreciate the fact that you're at church every Sunday. But that word needs to soak in. People of God, we got to get it. We have to get the point because people are watching us. And they know we're at church every Sunday. But then Monday when you get to work, you cussing everybody out. What? What's going on? People of God, let's look in the mirror. Or you at church every Sunday. Just to see what's going on. And as soon as you leave church, you can't even get all the way home. You calling folks to talk about sister so-and-so. Girl, you see them shoes Sister Jones had on? Girl, you hear Sister Smith up there singing in the choir. Voice cracking like a firecracker. So you can talk about somebody. That's not godly. You're in your flesh. The real truth is that you're jealous because nobody asked you to sing. Come on now. People of God, let's look in the mirror. The real truth is that you're angry. You're bitter. You talking about this woman because you like her husband. Let's tell the truth. Let's not be hypocrites. We need God to cleanse us and remove this foolishness from us. When somebody else accomplishes something, we should be happy. If the Lord blessed your neighbor with a car, you should be cheering because you know he's in the neighborhood. You might not have your new car yet, but you know that God is in the blessing business. Stop getting in your flesh and being jealous of other folks for having something that you don't have. Stop being angry because you didn't save like she did or like he did. You didn't save your money. What you mad at them for? They used wisdom. They used godly wisdom. They saved. They fixed their credit. Whatever the case. They did some things that you didn't do. So instead of being mad at them, why not find out what it is that you need to do? Why not find out how you can be blessed too? Why not have them praying with you and touch and agree with you? Where two or three are gathered in God's name, there he is in the midst. Why not do some practical things like not wasting your money and going shopping every week? 
going to all these restaurants, charging up your credit card, paying interest on food that's been gone. Stop it. Let's use some wisdom so that we don't get entangled and lured into those same three temptations over and over again. And like I said, if Satan tried to tempt Jesus, you know he doesn't care anything about messing with us. See, the thing is, Satan doesn't change his methods. It's the same three things all the time. And the truth is, he doesn't even need to change his methods. Because we keep falling for the okey-doke every single time. Over and over, he tempts us with the lust of the flesh. And it shows up in several forms. Like sexual gratification. Gluttony. Excessive alcohol consumption. Drug use, both legal and illegal. It's some folks taking some prescribed pills over and over again. And they know that's not the way that they're prescribed. Stop it. And then there's the deeds of the flesh. About which Paul warned the Galatians. And in Galatians, Paul told them in Galatians 5. He talked about sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, if you find yourself in any of the categories that I just mentioned, You've got to pray. You've got to get that stuff out of there. And sometimes people think sexual immorality is just married folks cheating. No. You can be sexually immoral if you're not married and you're messing with somebody cheating. You can be sexually immoral if you're having sex outside of wedlock. You can be sexually immoral in a whole lot of ways. Now, let's talk about the idolatry piece. If you're idolizing or making anything else more important than God, for instance, your job, your money, your friends. You can't come to church on Sunday because you're too busy watching sports at the bar with the fellas. You can't pay your bills at home because you're busy out there trying to make Everybody else think you got it going on. And you out spending money and hanging out. Your family is not important. God is not important. But the world is important to you. Your image is important to you. Stop it. If you're always jealous and always envious of everybody else, but you're not doing anything to get anywhere. That's your flesh. And you're a dangerous person. Folks that had these fits of anger, no self-control. Stop it. That is your flesh. 
the drunkenness. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink. But if every time you drink, you drink to get drunk. That's your flesh. And I definitely can't pass up gluttony. The portions of food that some of us eat are dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. Gluttony is no different than a person that drinks too much. You don't know when you're full. You're overeating. You're eating stuff you know you're not supposed to eat. You're eating things that you know are bad for your health. And you got to go to all you can eat. Because you want plate after plate after plate after plate. Stop it. You're killing yourself. And I'm sure that your medical records and your doctor have also said to you, stop it. This is the flesh. These are works of the flesh. Look in the mirror. We have got to gain some self-control. We've got to. Because not only can gluttony kill you physically, it can kill you spiritually. Your mind is not focused on the things that it's supposed to be on. You're sitting in church thinking about a gallon of ice cream. Stop it. Don't let the enemy continue to fool you. Anything that's excessive like this. Any of the things that I just named, these are works of the flesh. And you folks that are mad all the time, don't think I left you out. If you're always mad, you need to get to the root of that problem. You're always talking about people. You need to get to the root of that problem. You never have anything positive to say to other folks. But you sit in your house looking out your window, finding fault with everybody else. Stop it. Let God heal you. Let God deliver you. It's not cute. And have you noticed that nobody wants to be around you when you're acting like this? Have you noticed people get away from you? If every time you start talking to folks and you're negative and they look at you and say, all right, then I'm going to holler at you because they're trying to get away from you. You're negative and mean. Stop it. Look in the mirror. Check yourself. How have you fallen into your flesh? Even at church, you sitting there looking at people with the side eye. Every time they say something, you mumbling under your breath. Mm-hmm. Look at her. Stop it. That's your flesh. It's ungodly. Look in the mirror. Be honest with yourself. We cannot keep going forward like this. The lust of the flesh has got many, many people caught up. But perhaps one of the most evil temptations 
is the pride of life. And this is the very sin that resulted in Satan getting expelled from heaven. He desired to be God and not to be a servant of God, according to Isaiah 14. The arrogant boasting, which constitute the pride of life, motivates the other two lusts because it seeks to elevate itself above all others and fulfill all personal desires. It's the root cause of strife in families, in churches, and across our nation. It exalts the self in direct contradiction to Jesus' statement that those who will follow him must take up their cross and deny themselves. The pride of life stands in our way if we are truly seeking to be servants of God. How is that? Because then everything becomes about you and not about God. Me, me, me. I, I, I. It's the arrogance that separates us from others. And it limits our effectiveness in the kingdom. You cannot be effective in the kingdom if you have this arrogant mindset that everything is about you and it's no longer about God. You're not effective. The pride of life does not come from the Father. But be honest with yourself. It comes from the world. And as such, it's going to pass away with the world. But those who resist and overcome the temptation of the pride of life do the will of God. And the man who does the will of God will live forever. So we've talked a lot about these behaviors. So let's talk about how to get rid of them. One of the first things that we need to do is be enlightened. Where does enlightenment come from? It definitely comes from the word of God. And the Bible says that the word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God cleanses, it renews, and it refreshes us. Hallelujah. David said that the word of God was a light unto his path and a lamp unto his feet. Therefore, we've got to go to God. We've got to get in the word to get the help that we need. Even after David sinned with Bathsheba, he went to God with this prayer. And it wasn't about Bathsheba either, like we do. But David went to God about himself. According to Psalm number 51. In Psalms 51, David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight 
So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Hmm. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's where we get our enlightenment. We need the word of God. People, you cannot do it by yourself. Yes, we all have flaws. We all have things going on in our lives. But we have to know that we got to go to the word. The next thing that we need to rid this behavior is establishment. We need to be able to move forward. Get your footing. You need to be saying to yourself, I've come too far to turn around. So where can you be established? Place your feet on the solid rock. And that rock is Jesus. We have to be established. Stand up. Get your footing. Make up your mind to turn around. Place your feet on the solid rock. Stand on the word. Stand with faith and confidence in Jesus. Because when all the rest of the world is sinking sand, David said on Christ, the solid rock I stand. In Psalm number 18 and 2, he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me. And he's my place of safety. That's where I can stand. I can stand on the word of God. I can stand knowing that God is faithful. I can stand knowing. Just like the Israelites. Even if I mess up. Even if I fail. Even if I fall. I can stand on the word of God. And look in the mirror. See the truth is not a day goes by. That we are not in need. Of God's grace and mercy. Every morning we need his spirit to fill us again. Every day we need him to strengthen us. From what's ahead. Every day we need him to lead and to guide us and protect us. And then also to provide for us. Every day we need a fresh word that speaks to our heart. To keep our focus. We have to stay focused on what's most important. And that's being focused on God. Focused on the things of God. Focused on the kingdom of God. Be focused on the promises of God. If we keep our eyes on the prize, the promises, and the presence of God, 
then we'll begin to appreciate the journey itself. Now, with the Israelites, it took them a while to get the point. We know that. When things took longer than expected, it was their fault. It wasn't God's fault. Because they kept getting off track and they kept losing their focus. And we don't want to do that. We can't keep going around this same circle again, trekking around this same mountain, having the same issue over and over and over again because we don't get the point. But see, God took them the long way. How many times have we tried to figure out why other folks can take the shortcut? But not us. They were out there in the wilderness because they couldn't get the point. They had to go the long way because they kept losing focus on what's important. Throughout scripture, we see the word wilderness. And there are several words throughout the Bible that translate to wilderness almost 300 times. Why is the wilderness relevant to God's people? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you talk about the wilderness, you could be talking about experiences of a wild landscape. You could be talking about a barren wasteland. You could be talking about an area that's uninhibited. You could be talking about a season of wandering. You could be talking about encounters with God, a lonely, desolate, dry place, a place of no help. An area that's uncultivated and a place that you've never been before. So in the book of Exodus, we read the story of how God's people had endured years of bondage under the Egyptians. And they were oppressed. They were abused. They were certainly mistreated. And they needed to be rescued. They needed a way of escape. And God saw their need because he doesn't miss anything. And guess what? God sees your needs. He sees you. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. For somebody listening today, he knows about the bondage that you're caught up in. He knows about the relationship that you don't even know how to let go of or how to get out of. He knows about the financial problems that you've caused and brought on yourself by going to those check cashing places, check advances. So by the time you get paid, you're still broke. God knows. He knows about how you keep running up those credit cards. And you got to pay them off. And by the time you get through paying them off, you don't have any money to pay your other bills. God knows. He sees. He knows about your bondage. He knows about how your food addiction has got you caught up. And the things that happen to you and your body and your mind afterwards, after you eat all that food, then you're depressed. He knows about your bondage. He does not miss anything. But just like with the Israelites in his perfect timing, he acted on their behalf and he will act on yours. Be encouraged because the God that we serve already knows about your troubles. So first of all, God met them where they were. 
saints, nothing about you surprises God. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time. They were set free from oppression, bondage, and captivity, but they still had some slave mentalities, and that's what's wrong with us. You can be physically free and still have a bondage or a slave mentality. It's the equivalent of folks getting married and remembering that old girlfriend and that old boyfriend saying, who I remember when. You open up the door to be tricked by the enemy. Or it could be just the opposite. Sisters, you now married to a good man. But you still stuck on how Ray Ray used to beat you up afterwards. He always give me some money, but but he did used to beat me up all the time. And you sitting there now with a good man and waiting on him to turn bad. Your mentality is still stuck on the old. Your mentality is still stuck on the oppression and the bondage. The second thing we need to remember is that good people get tired too. Saints of God, understand, everybody gets tired sometimes. You just can't dwell in it. In Exodus 17, the way to the promised land is not always easy, but it's worth it. We may feel like sometimes we've been forgotten or left alone. But you have to know that even in the wilderness, according to Exodus 13 and 7, God is still with us. Even when you're in your rough place, even when you're going through a season of change, something that seems desolate, where you feel lonely and forgotten. Know that you've not been forgotten. God sees you and he knows all about what you're going through. The third thing we have to remember is that God is faithful and he will keep you if you want to be kept. Don't be like Eve when that old serpent came along to cause her to doubt what God said. You've got to know that you know that you know that God is yet faithful. Even if his way or his timing or the direction that he's taking you in is something that you just can't understand right now. You still have to trust him. Because he knows the way that I take I trust him because he already knows what's going on with me. I trust him because he already sees ahead. He's the alpha and the omega. He's not just at the, at the beginning, but he's also the end. The next thing we have to remember is that God is a provider. He makes a way where there is no way. I don't care what it looks like and I don't care what it feels like. All we have to do is trust him because he provides in miraculous ways. Like in Exodus 13 and 8. The Red Sea looked like an obstacle that was too big to overcome. Oh, but if you just focus on God, whatever your Red Sea is, we may have some obstacles. We may have some things that we feel like, oh, it's too wide to go around. It is too high for me to get over. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm standing in front of this really, really big issue. But if you just focus on God rather than on your problem, he will make a way out of no way. Because what the Lord did for them was allow them to go across the sea on dry land. When they were hungry, guess what? God fed them. He provided food for them in miraculous ways. He rained down bread from heaven. 
And you've got to know that God is still performing miracles and he'll do it just for you. When they were thirsty, God told Moses to strike the rock and water came out for the people to drink. See, when they were hungry, God sent manna. When they were thirsty, God sent water gushing from the rock. Every day a miracle was right before their eyes. They just had to pick up the manna and drink the water and accept the blessings. Another time, he made the bitter waters become sweet again so they could drink it over and over again. God proved himself over and over again. God provided for their needs and over and over again. God will do the same thing just for you. Just like the people of Israel had to look to God to meet their needs, to be refreshed by what he offered and gather the manna every morning in the wilderness. So it is with us. They couldn't store it up, but they had to look for it every day. And that's what we've got to do. People of God every day. God always provided each morning. It was there waiting for them every day. He made sure he met their needs And they were satisfied. They were nourished. They were cared for. Praise God. And they never lacked for anything because God's resources never run dry. See, just because he blessed your neighbor don't mean there is no more. Just because he blessed your sister or your brother doesn't mean that he's going to run out. His resources never run dry. He's a God of more than enough. Sometimes we miss the obvious blessings of his provision because we can't always get what we want when we want it. But the fact is that they may not have gotten new clothes and shoes while they were out there in the wilderness. When we look back at the Israelites, however, the funny thing is the ones that they had lasted for 40 years. Who wouldn't serve a God like that? I don't know about you, but to make things that I have stretch and last is awesome provision. And I know that's from God. Some of y'all riding around right now in an older car, but you don't have any problems. Because the car cranks up just fine. It gets you where you need to go. And it's a good running car. He made the old thing that you already had last. That's provision. Sometimes we miss the miracles of his provision because we're so busy or because we're so stressed looking at things from our perspective and thinking about what we think we need. Sometimes we try to get things done too fast. All on our own, spinning around, trying to get it all done, stressed out for no reason. Or other times, we might start to forget what matters the most. But even for those days, there is still the grace of God. He waits for us. His provisions and his blessings never run dry. Every day, his miracles lie right before our eyes. And we just have to choose to look for them and stay close in his presence. The fifth thing is that God is a protector. He fights on our behalf. Then the angel of the Lord withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them. That's Exodus 14 and 19. When they faced attacks from the enemy surrounding them, God was still faithful to deliver them. When it was hot, he provided a cloud to shield them. At night, he provided a pillar of fire to keep them warm. The next thing we have to remember is that God is a guide. He leads us every day and night, according to Exodus 13 and 21. He doesn't just give us directions. But see, what David said over in the book of Psalms is that he leads me by the still waters. 
So for him to guide us means that he's not only there, but he's taking the steps ahead of us to show us just where to go. When I would walk in the fields behind my grandfather, he would tell me, you step where I step. And he would walk in front of me down each row. His footsteps were bigger than mine. So as I followed, he was making a path for me. And that's what God is saying for us. Even after all these things the Israelites had done and how they wandered away from God, he said these words just a few verses later in Exodus 33 and 14. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I'm so thankful that no matter what, he's always there. The last thing that we have to remember is that sin will always take us farther than we want to go. It'll make you stay longer than you meant to stay. It'll make you play games that you didn't even mean to play. It'll make you stop by the party for just a few minutes, but somehow it just got good to you and you just couldn't leave. Sin will be a hindrance to you. And guess what? He ain't letting you into the blessings when your ways haven't changed. You got to let go of the sin. You got to let go of the works of the flesh. That's like giving money to a crackhead or alcoholic. You already know what they're going to do with it. In Exodus 32 and 9, the Bible says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. It means they're hard-headed. It means they're stubborn, constantly grumbling and complaining, sinful, and their hearts had turned away from God. And that's what some of us have done. That's how we've fallen into the works of the flesh. People of God, we've got to look into the mirror. How easily we forget and we start complaining and we start grumbling because our hearts have gone astray. And the enemy is leading us deeper and deeper into a path that we wish we never entered. Sin gets a hold of our minds and our hearts. Don't think it's just got your body. It's like a disease that you can't shake off on your own. But God in his mercy will forgive you and set you free on today. He'll redeem you from the pit that far too many of us have wandered into and been stuck in. He'll lift you up out of those places and then place your feet on a solid ground. He'll give you a fresh purpose and a hope. If I hadn't went through some of the things that I went through, I'll tell you that I wouldn't be here today. While I was in it, while I was going through my rough place, while I was going through my wilderness, it might have seemed bleak. It might have seemed like it would never be over. Like it just wasn't any way out. And we often face battles and problems that press us. We feel forgotten about. We feel like we're all alone. And yet the hardest struggles that we face have the greatest potential to teach us patience and endurance like nothing else can. The years of our own desert wanderings may prove to be our most power-packed, strengthening, faith-building times of our lives. But we may not fully recognize it while we're in it. It's after that we've passed through that we look back and say, mm, that was God. And sometimes when we find ourselves there, we just need to remember from the whispers of God down deep in our soul that the presence of God is still with us and he will give us rest. I want you to know today that whatever you're facing, be assured that God is with you. He's providing for your needs. He has a plan. 
And he's been protecting you and shielding you all along. He's led you and he's guided you. He's sustained you. He's fed you. And he's given you water when you're thirsty, kept clothes on your back, kept you from hurt, harm, and danger. And nothing is too difficult for him. The God of miracles fights for you on today. And he'll never let you go. Don't worry about how long somebody else's race is. But you focus on yours. You focus on making sure that you're not operating in your flesh. You focus on making sure that you allow God to heal you and deliver you. Paul said, I press for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. So you run your race. Keep your eyes on God and you finish your course. Learn your lessons along the way. And you'll soon realize that the blessings are in your journey. You'll see that God keeps his promises. So you stay in the race. Hang in there. This has been Eve's Corner. God bless you and God keep you until next time.